right, good evening to everyone. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show about ham radio. If you're listening out there on shortwave on WBCQ on 7490, we welcome you uh, to this ham radio show. You know, a lot of us got interested in becoming ham radio operators just by listening to shortwave, just like you're doing tonight. So uh, send us an email if you're out there listening on shortwave. I'd love to hear from you. Send it to tom at w5kub.com. Tom at w5kub.com. And, hey, we'll get your QSL card back to you uh, from the uh, 7490 shortwave station. Um, want to ask everybody if they will, hey, uh, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you have not subscribed to the channel, uh, that helps us out greatly. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the notify button so uh, you'll know when we do come on live. Uh, sometimes we, we come up during the week with some type of special event and uh, it would notify you. So uh, hit that. Hit the like button. Hit all the buttons on there if you can. And uh, that will greatly help us and help YouTube to uh, advertise our show. You know, Hey, we've got a special announcement coming up here maybe in about 15 or 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So don't go away. Got some great news to uh, to uh, pass on to you guys uh, there. Um, let's see what else is going on. Um, let's just uh, let's jump around the room here and just see who's in the see see who's in the room. I think uh, we got Alan up first. How you doing, Alan? I am here. Hey, uh, good evening. Good to see you all. I know I've uh, been out a couple of times, but uh, work's been uh, picking up here. So it's uh, it's good to be back, and uh, had an interesting weekend, uh, and um, also got an interesting week coming up here. But I thought we'd talk a little bit about oscilloscopes tonight, or at least one topic about about scopes. Uh, talk about probing, which is probably one of the most important topics in terms of getting signals into your scope properly. So uh, yeah, that's what we got on tap for tonight. And I could sure use that. Um, and uh, hey, while we're at it, while we're at it, I I. I heard that you received the 2020 Hudson Division Technical Achievement Award, right? Hold that thing up. You got the plaque here? Let's look at it, man. Yes, I was going to get that on camera there. Oh, there you I, go. we got it there, man. And, and you, hey, you were rubbing elbows with, with hey, some, some big, big wigs there, Joe Taylor. Yeah, and, yeah it was, it was a, yeah, the Hudson Division. It was a Hudson Division um, Awards Luncheon. And, uh, you know, because I guess we're located pretty close to Connecticut, uh, we actually had the ARRL CEO, um, NA1AA or NA2AA, um, Dave Minster was there. And also uh, another one of the other award recipients was uh, Dr. Joe Taylor, uh, K1JT. He received the, um, from the ARRL, not just the Hudson Division, the 2019 Technical Achievement Award for JT8 one of the many digital modes he's developed. So this is a photo uh, here of me, uh, along with uh, Dave Minster, AA2AA, the ARRL CEO, uh, the Nobel, Nobel Prize winning uh, K1, K1JT, uh, Joe Taylor, Dr. Joe Taylor. And then this is uh, WO2X. Uh, David was uh, the 2021 Hudson Division Technical Award uh, recipient and also received the 20, I think it's a 2021 or 2020 cover plaque award for his work uh, with Node Red for doing remote uh, station operating. So uh, 
So the, I shared the t- shared the a table with these guys. That so was a real really wow. fun evening. Well, that is uh, that's so cool there. And hey, those guys have done a lot, man. I don't know how they I don't know how they do this. Or I guess they're just smart, right? <laughs> that's that's what it is. They're just smart. And, you know, we'll, have to, we'll have to talk with Dave. Yeah. Maybe we can get him on because as well because yeah. Dave. He's done a lot of work with remote operating, and um, he'll tell the story about uh, why he actually wound up had actually had to do it out of necessity for a while. But uh, and it's kind of been uh, you know, involved in this thing called Node Red, which allows you to control relays and power switches. So he has his entire station, including being able to cycle power on everything from his you know rotors to amplifiers to radios to everything else, all remotely. So it's actually really cool. Well, well, yeah. Let's let's get them on here and have a good time and talk about it. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure uh, I'll learn something for sure. Hey, let's jump over and look at. Uh, let's talk to uh, Glenn. Hey, Glenn, how you doing? Hey, I'm hanging in there, man. All um, right. Finally, well, got something put together for tonight. Um, okay. Going to be talking about uh, PC board design software a little bit and how to do it and what it looks like. Is that some using point. some type some type CAD program or is it called CAD? Yeah, we're going to be talking about Eagle PCB. Eagle, I've got Eagle here. I've I've tried it a couple times and boy, it's just complicated for me. I, I want to learn about it because it's, it's a little tricky yeah. to learn, but I've got some very good solutions to help you get around that. I mean, I I brute forced it. I had to use it for all of my books. And, yeah. Uh, it was just kind of trial by fire. Well, look, here's here's what I like to do. Hey, and there might be a, a simple way to do it, but, you know, I build these little trackers here, and they use 0402 parts, the yeah. parts are the size of the end of a needle. And I would like to expand this up to uh, 0604 parts, you know, same schematic, just use a little bit larger parts. They're still pretty small, but they're easier to work with. And you should be able to do that. I, I've got uh, the board. I've got the board layouts, you know, on Eagle. I just wish there was some way to convert it to, you know, the next larger, you know, expand it somehow. You would have to replace each part individually yeah. with the larger part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just change the part and tell it to redo it and rework it. Wow. Well. Okay. Well. It sounds simple. Uh, I. Yeah, I just know. don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well. Very good. Uh, looking forward to that tonight. Uh, and uh, we uh, maybe we'll learn something tonight on that too. Boy, tonight's going to be a learning experience, I think, for us. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Uh, let's just jump right into the program here. Oh, let me just say hello. We got a couple of new people in the chat room. I think uh, there's a uh, NA5C Steve in McAllen, Texas, uh, on here tonight. We'll uh, say hi and uh, do a. Do a shout out to Steve uh, down here in Texas. Is there anybody else uh, new tonight? You know, we we advertised the show somewhat on some of the Facebook groups, and it may have brought some new people over here uh, to uh, to the show tonight. So just interesting to see if we have any uh, new people on the show. I know we had about we probably had twenty or thirty people uh, join the Facebook group. Uh, so I don't know. We, I'm sure we got some new people tonight. Uh, and let me just mention that, uh, since I brought up Facebook, uh, we've got a great Facebook group, guys. It's called uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable, but that's a really long name. And if you'll just put in W5KUB uh, in, in a search in Facebook, it'll bring it up. It'll bring our group up. We have over 12,000 hams in our group, 
and uh, it's a very active group. Uh, uh, a lot always goes on in that group. So please join us, and uh, everybody is welcome. Join us on uh, uh, Facebook, uh, W5KUB. All right, so let's uh, let's see. Uh, hey, uh, Alan, talk to us about scopes tonight. Let's just jump right into it. Yeah, did you want to mention the the international flavor you've got coming up before I get started? I, you know, I will do that, uh, <laughs> and I should I should do that. Uh, uh, I I I think I briefly mentioned it in the opening, but guys, uh, in about fifteen or twenty minutes, we're gonna have a special guest on the show from Russia. And uh, she has uh, joined our team and has some great uh, video and is a great ambassador for Ham Radio. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So uh, stick around. And uh, after Alan uh, does his thing, uh, we'll be bringing in uh, R1BIG. So so stand by. Okay. Go ahead, uh, Alan. Alrighty, very good. Hey, looking forward to Raisa uh, coming on here and see what she's got uh, for us. So yeah, so um, actually, essentially, I had my oscilloscope up here uh, for a program that I worked on on um, on Friday, and thought it might be good to kind of re- redo some of that for the audience here because you know many of us have got oscilloscopes, and one of the most important things when using a scope, especially when you're probing around in circuits and things like that, is is the proper use of probes, okay? And uh, what's interesting is that there's there's some subtleties there that people may not know. And um, one of the, um, you know, most of the probes that folks use, they kind of look like this sometimes, or you might have some older ones that got a different style, we'll call it a comp box that plugs in. Most of these probes are called 10X probes, and many people don't know a whole lot about why they're, they're called 10X probes and why we actually use 10X probes. So I'm going to briefly cover that and then show um, one or two good best practices with probes. So let me do a quick little share here of uh, to help you guys better understand what 10X probes are. Okay, so if we look at this... Um, you know, this kind of cir- little simple RC circuit over here, this is essentially what the input to your oscilloscope looks like. Uh, typically a one megaohm resistor to ground, and that's shunted by some amount of capacitance, usually somewhere between 10 and, you know, say between 10 or, you know, 15, 20, 20, 25 picofarads or, or so, depending on the bandwidth of the scope. Higher bandwidth scopes is going to be a little bit lower. The lower bandwidth scopes is going to be a little bit higher. So how do we connect that input to our signal or to our, you know to our board how do we connect it up to the circuit well you know why don't we just use you know simple wires right and uh, we just use come flying leads like we do with the DMM well two things to think about number one is that one side is always ground okay so you always have to connect one end to ground it's not like the leads of a DMM Okay, so one side's always ground. So, uh, but so, but okay. So I'll connect one wire to ground, and I can just have another wire connecting up to my circuit. Why doesn't that work? Well, part of the problem with that is that uh, it, these long wires and the big loop area adds a lot of inductance into that measurement path, and uh, inductance presents a higher impedance at higher frequencies and can cause some problems. And more importantly, that big loop area is going to look like an antenna. Is going to pick up all sorts of noise and things like that, and the wires could also couple your your circuit's signal to other parts of the circuit. 
you can get away with this generally for low frequencies or very large signals, you know, or a combination of both those two actually, but uh, not really much more than that. So we generally don't use flying leads for anything more than, you know, audio basically. So, well, so how about we just, we solve some of that problem by making it a coaxial cable connected to the BNC connector of the scope and connect that up to our circuit. Okay. Well, the good thing about that is that, well, we've minimized that stray pickup because we've shielded the line that we're using to pick up our signal, and that minimizes coupling to other parts of the circuit, so that's good. Uh, the bad thing, though, is that we've added capacitive loading, okay, because coax is, you know, tens of picofarads per foot. Um, and you know, very easily, you know, a hunk of coax, you know, connected up to your circuit uh, could look like a hundred picofarads. Now, how uh, how bad is how how's your circuit going to react to a hundred picofarads hanging on that node that you're trying to measure? You know, at thirty megahertz, a hundred picofarads is about fifty ohms, right? So it places a pretty heavy load on your circuit. So while we've solved one problem, we really kind of introduced another one by uh, by doing the shielded. So let's see how we can address that. Well, let's say if we take that hunk of coax and let's stick a series resistor in, you know, in series of the signal line on the, the far end of the coax. What that does is it isolates the probe capacitance or the cable and scope capacitance. So it puts that 100 picofarads on the other side of a 9 mega ohm resistor. So that kind of takes it out of the picture. So that's a good thing. Uh, it attenuates the signal by a factor of 10, right? 9 mega ohm resistor here, 1 mega ohm resistor over here, right? So we created a 10 to 1 voltage divider, okay? But in many cases, we can deal with that. And this is part of why this is called a 10x probe, because of that 10 to 1 voltage division. But we've introduced another problem, right? At very low frequencies, right, the voltage division is handled pretty easily by the 9 mega ohm and 1 mega ohm, right? That's your 10 to 1 voltage divider. But as the frequency starts to go up, the reactance of this 10 to 20 picofarad capacitor at the input is going to start being lower than 1 meg. And when that happens, you essentially now have a 9 mega ohm resistor in series with or shunted by, you know, with a shunt going down that's less than 1 meg. So you've essentially created an RC low-pass filter. So now we're filtering away our high frequencies. So we've got rid of the capacitance, but we still have now a low-pass filter. And that gets worse as the frequency increases. And, and it's really only at, you know, tens of kilohertz where that starts to matter. It's like, oh, shoot, well, that didn't really help me, right? <laughs> so, let's, so there's one more thing we can do to counteract that, okay? And that simple fix is to put a capacitor around that 9 megaohm resistor. So now at low frequencies... The resistor, the 10x voltage division is handled by the resistors. At high frequencies, the capacitors take over and it becomes a capacitive voltage divider. And the only thing we have to ensure is that, you know, while these resistors have a 10 to 1 ratio, the, these capacitors have to have a 10 to 1 ratio. It's actually in the other direction, but it's still a 10 to 1 ratio. And then, and therefore, then we can get essentially a capacitive voltage divider that gives us the 10x voltage division at high frequencies. The resistive voltage divider gives us the 10x uh, division at low frequencies. Oh, great, we're done. Well, almost. The problem is, is that, remember how we mentioned that the input capacitance to the scope 
Oh, is somewhere between 10 and 25 picofarads. Well, that varies by scope, which means I can't just pick a, a, a capacitor value to stick around that 9 megohm resistor and have it work all the time because it's got to match against that. So we make that capacitor variable. And the process of adjusting that capacitor is called compensating the probe. And this is something that you know, new and novice scope users and experienced scope users alike often forget to do. So we're going to talk about how to do that and what it looks like. Okay, so let me uh, unshare this screen here. And I'm going to go and switch my camera now, get fancy on you, and switch over to my oscilloscope camera here. All right, so here's uh, the typical 10x probe. Okay, this is a, a Tektronics uh, P6139. It happens to be a 500 megahertz uh, 10x probe. And uh, here's our my little witch's hat, the clip lead on the one end, and my ground lead. Okay, and here you'll see a little hole here, and it probably won't focus in on this. It says probe comp. This is where you actually make the probe compensation. And when you get your probes, you also get this little screwdriver doodad. How many of you know where this is? Right. Make sure you go dig it up and go find it, because as I mentioned, that the compensation is important as with its frequencies as low as just a couple of kilohertz. Your your frequencies above that will be either reading high or low if you don't have that compensation adjusted properly. So let's actually uh, plug this scope here, or plug this probe here onto channel two of the scope. Right. And I'm going to turn on channel two. I'll turn off channel one. And I'm just going to quickly set my trigger to trigger on channel two so we can go look at that. Now, because on just about every scope in the world is a, the, a probe compensation or probe calibration signal. It's called probe cal or probe comp. On this scope, it's way over here. So I'm going to connect up the ground lead to ground. I'm going to connect up the uh, trigger loop or the, the, uh, the scope to the compensation signal itself. And let's scoot this down here, adjust my trigger level up, and scoot this down. And now this probe compensation signal is generally a one kilohertz square wave. Now keep in mind that it's not exactly a kilohertz. It's not designed to be a one kilohertz frequency reference. It's just an approximate one kilohertz uh, signal. And the reason we use that is that the one hertz fundamental frequency is slow enough that the resistive voltage divider will give you the 10x voltage division, okay? But it's got high frequency edges or fast edges, so there's a lot of energy at, you know, much higher frequencies that's going to be affected by the capacitive voltage divider. So if we go in here and stick the screwdriver inside the probe, and if I get that to kind of settle into the right spot here, there we go. Now we can see if I had this probe misadjusted, I could be undercompensated, and this is where that capacitor is around that 9 megohm resistor isn't big enough, and I'm low-pass filtering the edges, okay? Or if I adjust it the other way, that capacitor is too big, and I'm passing too much of the high-frequency energy, right? So that I'm getting less of a voltage division at the high-frequency at the edges, Okay, so the idea is that you want to adjust that probe compensation to get as close as you can get to a perfect looking square wave. And now you've matched that probe to the input capacitance to your scope. 
And again, pretty important thing to do because without doing that, your your any the measurements that you make as signals above just a couple of kilohertz can be off, either by you know by being either too high or too low, and you wouldn't know why. It's purely because you maybe you didn't have that the compensation adjusted right. So dig out your 10x probes and be sure you properly compensate them on your scope. So that's the first first topic I want to talk about. That's one of the the number one best practice thing that uh, you want to think about when using uh, uh, 10x probes on your scope is to properly compensate them. It's amazing how many people, even professional engineers that have been doing this for years, uh, don't know where their little probe adjustment tool is and can't remember if they've ever compensated their 10x probes or not. So uh, go ahead and do that. The next piece, next thing, uh, thing I want to talk about, and probably the second most common thing that people don't do right when it comes to, uh, or don't think about enough when it comes to uh, looking at their uh, using probes, is properly setting up uh, and you properly adjusting, or excuse me, properly using your ground lead and making paying attention to that ground lead length. So we look at this probe, okay. So this is the business end of the probe, right? I could pop off the little witch's hat and there's my little probe tip, you know, right there. The witch's hat kind of gives me the little spring hook on it. And then here's, I got a, a five or six inch long ground lead here. But you remember what we said about fly, you know, leads, like flying leads? Well, this ground lead also adds inductance. Now, remember the, the input to the, the, the probe tip, it's got some capacitance to it, right? And now I've got some inductance in this ground lead. Well, what happens when we couple inductors and capacitors together? Well, we create a tank circuit, right? That tank circuit can ring, right? It can cause problems. So let's take a look at what I've got here on the uh, the scope screen right now. I've got, I'm probing on this little board I've got down here. It's a little demonstrator board that we use for you know, demonstrating various features of the scope. And I'm, I'm probing a little pin down here that's actually a two nanosecond wide pulse. It's a very, very narrow two nanosecond wide pulse. And I'm using that five inch ground lead on this probe. And if we take a look at the, uh, the scope screen, I can see that two nanosecond edge. And I see all this little ringing going on down here. Now, is that ringing real? Or is it just due to the ringing due to this ground lead? If I go put my fingers on that ground lead and move it around, I can actually change that ringing a little bit. So most you know, higher frequency probes are going to come with some additional ground accessories. And the one I'm going to show you here looks like this. Let's see if I can get this to focus in here or not. Let's see. Well, the little tiny ground, little tiny spring. So I can just put it on my palm. Okay, so it's a little spring that fits the probe, and I'll show you how in a moment, with a little bit of a, 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 a tail on it. And the idea with this is that you're going to... Take your probe, okay? I'm just going to pull off the little ground lead here, just unsnaps off the side, okay? I'm going to pull off the little witch's hat. And if you look at the probe, the probe tip, there's a little concentric ground ring, a coaxial ground ring, right around the probe. So that little spring tip, or a spring ground adapter, I'll call it, slips right on there. Let me see if I can get this thing to slip on here all the way. Yeah, there we go. So it slips on there like that. I get that to focus in. So now I've got my probe tip and a ground lead that's very, very close. And uh, the idea is hopefully you've got a ground nearby to what you need to probe on the board. 
So now if I go down and I look at that same signal that I was just looking at before, let's get this guy in here. And now if we take a look at that, all that ringing that I had right here is now all gone. Oh, I slipped off my, my point here. Let's go put that back on here. There we go. So all that ringing is now gone. So now we know that all of that ring that I was seeing for a good 30 or 40 nanoseconds after my edge was all simply due to the ringing of that LC circuit formed by the probe capacitance and that five inch ground lead. So when you start when you start dealing with higher frequency circuits, the length of that ground lead can be critical in terms of making sure that your measurements are good and clean, you're not introducing any abnormalities and problems that you might have to go chase down. So those two things, the you know, not properly compensating your probes and not, not really paying attention to grounds when you're looking at higher frequency signals are uh, the most common things that people kind of get, uh, get messed up with here a little bit. And the other one might be, well, hey, I'm probing this signal and it's 10 times bigger than I expected or 10 times smaller than I expected. And that's oftentimes when you've got an oscilloscope that doesn't recognize when you plug, plug in a 10x probe. Some probes, uh, like this one here, have a little uh, indicator pin on it. Let's see if I can show that up here. See this little spring-loaded pin right here? And for properly equipped scopes, that tells the scope that I've plugged in a 10x probe and it changes the vertical scale. Uh, if you if you don't if your probes don't have that or your scope doesn't support that you've got a 10x probe uh, when you plug it in you may have to go into the vertical channel of the scope and tell it what attenuation you know if I go down here to uh, probe setup I might actually have to go tell it for example what probe attenuation I'm using so that the vertical scale reads right but those are the most common things um, that will help you become, you know, take you from a novice scope user to a power user. So anyway, that's what I had to share. Uh, there's a lot more we could talk about with scopes. I could spend hours doing it, but I thought uh, that might be a good one to go. And we'll take a look at the see if there's any questions in the chat that we can answer. Yeah, I've got a couple questions. Um, go ahead and bring your picture back. Yeah, so I bring my scope back up. So it looks like yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll work backwards so here, I guess. Um, so Russ KG0BK asks, does a probe need to be compensated before each use? Uh, the, the answer is probably not. If you're always using, if, you only, if you've got one scope, like most people just have one scope, once you compensate the probe on that scope, you generally only have to do that once. It's a good idea to check it periodically, but, uh, but it, shouldn't it shouldn't vary much from channel to channel on the scope. But once you've compensated it once for your scope, you don't have to worry about it again generally. But if you have, you know, if you've got two scopes or you have different probes, whatever, it's a good idea to make sure your the probe is compensated for the scope that you're using. But you don't have to; it doesn't change over time, so uh, you don't have to worry about doing that again. Yeah, I've got a question too. Um, you know, I've got a couple spectrum analyzers. They have a BNC on the front of them. Yep. What what type cable should I use uh, on that? Just a, a straight through shielded type cable? Could you use a uh, a scope probe. Well, you well say so uh, a straight through cable is certainly fine. The big thing I have to remember, Tom, is that the spectrum analyzer input doesn't have a one megaohm resistor to ground. It's generally a fifty ohm termination. Right, right, right. So yeah. uh, you really can't use a ten x probe like we we're using here because this ten x probe has got a nine megaohm resistor in series with the okay. probe tip. 
So nine mega would then be a voltage divider against 50 ohms, which would be a huge voltage division, and you wouldn't get anything through it. Okay. So that would be a big, that would be a big attenuator. Probably a really big attenuator, wouldn't it? It would be it looks like a huge attenuator. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, that's there, good there are there are there are what are called low capacitance probes or Z zero probes, uh -huh. which is effectively like the fifty ohm cable with a smaller resistor in series. For example, if you put a five you know four hundred fifty ohm resistor in series, then overall it looks like a five hundred ohm input, which wouldn't load a fifty ohm circuit as bad. It would so, attenuate the signal by twenty dB, but you could do that. So Tech are you talking? Like were you uh, were you talking about uh, a time ten probe or a time one probe? Well, you, the if if you just take the fifty ohm coax and run out to the end, that's just a, that's just a times one. It's just an extension right. of the fifty ohm in, in environment. A four, if you took a fifty ohm coax with a four hundred fifty ohm resistor in series at the at the probe tip that connects up to your spectrum analyzer, that would be a times ten low capacitance probe for a fifty ohm environment. So I, I guess my question is a time of you know a lot of my probes have a little switch on them time one time ten yeah they they may not be great probes but so as a times uh, one probe does it it doesn't have the nine meg and a one meg does it no it doesn't in fact the times one probe is effectively a straight through however most probe cables the coax isn't a pure fifty ohms is it's mm -hmm. intentionally a little bit lossy. So it won't look like exactly like a like a coaxial cable, but you can certainly get away with using your um, time your, one probe. Your times one probe, but it's, again, it's not generally a fifty ohm coax. So you're almost better off using just fifty ohm coax. Okay, so. gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. That. Uh Somebody said it looks like I'm up on your shelf right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't want to fall. Oh, gee. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, All right. Well, hey, that, that's that's uh, that's great news. Um, I, I learned something tonight, and I learned about the times one and the times ten, and uh, uh, cool. Very good. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much uh, for sharing that with us tonight, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, the next uh, the next segment you do. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, so I'll continue uh, to look through the uh, the questions on the chat to see if there's anything I missed. Yeah, uh, go yeah, ahead. Look is, uh, somebody asked if you have to do this for analog and digital scopes. Uh, absolutely, uh, because from uh, so the nice thing, well, the, you have to do it for both. You definitely do. The newer digital scopes, like the one that I've got here, the probes that actually come with it um, can actually be compensated for by the scope, and then the scope remembers the compensation characteristics for that probe. But uh, the vast majority, you know, you still got to adjust manually. All right. Well, very good. Okay. Hey, guys, just stand by. We'll be back uh, in just uh, a couple minutes here. Spice up your hand check with ICOM's IC705. This portable radio is perfect for staying in or venturing out and working your favorite bands this winter. Happy holidays from ICOM. The IC705 is a perfect sidekick in QRP companion, base station, features, and functionality at the tip of your fingers in a portable Package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at just over 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF bands and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. Some of the features include 4.3 inch touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, sideband CW, AM, FM, as well as full D star functions, 
has a micro USB connector, Bluetooth, and WLAN, integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger. The HM243 speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Our family of favorite ICOM amateur radios are also available this holiday season and they make the perfect gift. Don't forget the 9700, the 9300, and the 7610 base stations. And the ID52A handheld coming soon. Visit www.icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, and uh, we're back, and there was a question. Steve, uh, one of our new people tonight, Steve, NA5C, uh, had a question for you, Alan, about differences between you know expensive scopes and less expensive scopes uh, yeah so yeah it looks like steve your question was the practical differences between the expensive tech scopes and the more affordable like rigol or siglin or some of the other uh scopes that you find out there and when you get down into what you know, we can call call the, the the entry level and even hobbyist market of scopes um the, really the biggest difference is is that um, and I, I remember talking with our engineering folks about it because you know, Tektronix makes kind of entry-level scopes as well, but they still don't cost as, li as little as like a Regal or a Siglent or something like that. So what's the difference? And I was told by them it really comes down to uh, a couple of things, the amount of the engineering that goes into it, uh, calibration, durability, things like that. And a lot of that comes down to you know, choice of components. Things like the rotary encoders that, and switches that are used, uh, you know, on the Tektronix scopes and, and other like, like you know, Keysight or you know, HP Agilent or whatever. Um, the the those, that those components, the potentiometers, the switches, the rotary encoders, the the displays and things like that, are industrial rated components which have a higher temperature range and a much longer service life than you know more. Uh, commercial rated components that might be used in the less expensive instruments. So that's one difference, and that's part of the difference in cost. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, there comes to calibration stability. There's a lot of engineering that goes in, uh, you know, that way as well. But at the end of the day, for a lot of the hobbyist work that you're doing, you know, uh, you'll get, you know, perfect service out of something like a Rigol or a Siglent or something like that on your bench. Um, it's certainly probably more more affordable than you know, a brand new tech, but you could buy a used tech for a decent price and, and have a really nice professional quality scope on your bench. So, uh, but otherwise, um, you know, there is there is in terms of what the scopes do, there isn't a huge difference. It really comes down to um, you know durability, accuracy, reliability is uh, what you're paying for. 
All right, very good. If there are any other questions, just uh, put them in a chat room there, and we'll be glad to uh, answer them. Was there anything you know, else there? It, it's kind of funny. I have got a hand tech, which is similar to the Rigel, mm -hmm. uh, that is my kind of day-to-day -day one. But when I want to get serious, I break out my ancient analog 475 Tektronics because it, it, it's just... It's just easy to use and accurate and easy yep. to set up. Yeah, I've got a 465B in the basement that I use a lot, and uh, yeah. I've, got, well, I've got a couple of analog scopes in the basement, so uh, and I use them quite a bit too. So uh, I like them all. Okay. Um, so uh, another question here was about tuners, and I try to answer that. Uh, He's got one band that doesn't tune, and uh, I think we did a show on this a while back um, on the tuners. Okay. Yeah, because most of the LDGs are rated yeah. at ten. But I, I put up a I put up a, a chart that had uh, links to stay away from, and yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it had it all laid out. And uh, if you use this link, you know it'll work on all these bands, but it won't work on this band. Exactly. If if you use this link length it, it will work on that band and that band but it might not work on the middle band and uh so it's real critical in there uh, five feet to the wire you'll be good to uh you know to to try some different links and he said he uh, shortened it a little bit it didn't help you might try to lengthen it a few feet uh, yeah, do three feet, if, four feet four feet if we go back and remember a show that i did probably a while ago talking about smith charts uh-huh um if you a Smith chart is a way of comp, you know, plotting complex impedance and things like that. But uh, one of the things to remember on a Smith chart is that the further the impedance is away from the center of that Smith chart, right, the higher the SWR is. Um, and then with a given SWR, if you just change the coax length, what it happens is you're, you essentially inscribe a circle around the center, and that's called a constant SWR circle. You don't change the SWR by changing the length. However, what you do change is the impedance, right? There's, there's an infinite number of impedances that can result in a given SWR, right? If your SWR is three to one, there's an infinite combination of impedances, capacitive and inductive, that can give you a three to one SWR. Uh, a tuner may say, okay, it's, it's, the tuner is designed to correct for a three to one SWR, but it might have trouble in certain portions of that circle. So by adding or subtracting coax, you rotate around to a different part of the circle, change the impedance for that same SWR, and then you're able to tune it. So that's probably that's likely is what's happening is that you're running into a corner case where even though the tuner's rated to tune a 10 to 1 SWR, it doesn't do so well if that 10 to 1 SWR is in a certain spot on the Smith chart. But by adding or subtracting coax, you can move it around, and then it may be able to tune for it. Right. Hey, there's a question from Ed WB5ORT. I'm not sure I understand it. Uh, what would be the array of probe a guy would need with an oscilloscope? Well, you, I'm assuming that you mean. Well, correct me if I'm wrong there, Ray, but I'm assuming you meaning uh, you know how many different types of probes would I need? And for the most part, you know, uh, enough 10x probes for each, one for each channel is probably all you really need. You might want to have one. 1x probe or maybe a probe that can be switchable between 1x and 10x for those instances where you have got a low level signal at a low bandwidth but otherwise 10x probes are 99 percent of the time i'm using just a, a passive 10x probe so i think that'll be fine um 
One thing to remember is that I've, another question I'll get all the time is, okay, I've got a, a scope that's rated to 50 megahertz, but I've got a probe that's 100 megahertz. Can I use that? Okay. And most, most of the time, the answer is yes. But there's a caveat. You, when we are, each probe can only compensate for a certain input capacitance range in the scope. So if you, if, there's a, if you use a really high bandwidth probe on a very low bandwidth scope, it might not be able to get it compensated because there might not be enough range in that adjustment. So that's the only little caveat that you got to look at is um, it, it's perfectly fine to use a wider bandwidth probe on a lower bandwidth scope as long as it can be compensated. Yeah, now one thing when you're also talking about the probes, in addition to the 1 and 10x probes, uh, as you did with the spring ground clip, um, there are also small slip-on tips that have different uh, yep. aspects. So instead of the clip that comes on with the witch's hat, you have like a, an IC pin uh, yep. tip that will actually insulate both sides of the, the uh, metal tip from the other IC pin so you can uh, scope down a circuit board without shorting anything out. So there's yeah, a variety of different... That's a great point, especially when you start get probing you know, surf, you know, small surface mount parts. That can be really important so you just don't, don't short things out. So it's, it's usually the probes, when you get them new, come with a lot of really good and very useful accessories. So it's a good idea to take a look at all those little plastic baggies that come with your probe because there's usually goodies in there that uh, <laughs> yeah. are there for a reason. <laughs> Yeah, someone asked if there's a 100x probe. Uh, there are. They, people do make 100x probes and even higher for, for high voltage applications. Uh, you, don't, you don't find them that often, but there are 100x probes out there. Wow. Um, I've, got, I've, got, I've got one or two in my basement. Um, there are some that go even higher yet for, for extremely high voltage applications. There's also a lot of other special, specialized types of probes as well for uh, probing differential signals and currents and things like that. So... Uh, but like I said, probably 99% of the time, a simple 10X probe will cover you for everything you want to do. All right. All right, guys. Well, let's move right along here. All right. But uh, I finally found, I think, probably the most famous amateur radio operator her name is Raisa R1BIG. Let me bring let me bring her in here. Uh, no real big introduction uh, before I bring her in because we're going to talk with her and let her kind of tell us a little about her or a lot about her. So come on in uh, and let's talk. And uh, boy, we are so happy to have you tonight. This is your first time on the show. The the audio is not going to feed through to you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Tom. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for your invitation. It was a great pleasure to me, uh, and I'm very excited to be a part of uh, your great show. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you I know, I am uh, I am so happy to have you uh, on our show with us, and it's going to be just great. You know, I've looked at your videos and your blog, and you really do a lot for ham radio. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, you know, some of us old timers uh, have not done as much as you've done, and you're a rel relatively new ham. You've only been a ham a few years, but you have done so much. Uh, tell us, uh, why did you get your license? What, what did you think uh, about 
when you got your license? How how that happen? <laughs> uh, I was uh, licensed in uh, 2018 uh, in uh, December, uh, and my first course was uh, in the May uh, uh, 2018, uh, and uh, I was so exciting. It was uh, uh, only the first time, and uh, I was um, very surprised. It was a man from uh, Moscow, uh, and um, uh, I decided that it could be a very interesting hobby. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I tried to you know, preparing for the exam, uh, and uh, I passed it in December. Uh, and uh, during this time, I was so uh, involved uh, in uh, such a great hobby and knew so many things about it. Uh, and uh, I, I am a person who likes uh, to share with something good. For example, if uh, I tried something new and uh, I like it, uh, I always uh, uh, would like uh, to share this thing with my friends. And uh, I uh, thought that it would be a good idea uh, to show uh, my simple uh, steps in this uh, hobby and uh, maybe uh, it uh, brings uh, new people to the hobby and uh, uh, especially I am thinking about whales uh, and uh, I hope that um, uh, we will uh, hear many whales uh, 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 in the future uh, on the radio waves. <laughs> well, you know, only, I, I'm looking up the numbers, only about 15% uh, ham radio operators are YLs. And uh, we, we want to try to bring that, that out into our show, too. Uh, we have YLs that watch our show. And uh, we think this, this is going to be very interesting and a lot of fun having you on. Hey, I watch your videos, and it seems like every video, you not only go to beautiful or historic places, but you also have fun. Now, I, I go to a lot of ham, ham events, and I don't see people having a lot of fun, you know. Uh, but when I see you out there, it seems like you're having a lot of fun. So you must really enjoy the hobby yes it is uh, i like hobby i like what i do i like to travel and i like uh, to show a little bit uh, for uh, the other people from the different countries uh, something interesting about my countries how is she beautiful how uh, how many uh, beautiful places we have and nature is also uh, very nice, uh, and uh, I'm always uh, try to um, uh, to change uh, locations uh, for the videos, uh, and also uh, I like uh, to try different uh, ham radio program, uh, for example, Florian Fauna or uh, Iota or something like this, uh, and uh, it is really very interesting um, to to thinking about how to move uh, from one place to the other and um, yeah it's it's nice and i have a great fun <laughs> and uh, i would like uh, to show that it is uh, a really nice hobby you can uh, learn a lot of 
information, languages, history, geography, and all of the, these things is, uh, I think, very interesting and very important in our lives. So you, I think you were uh, born in Finland, is that correct? No, no? it isn't. Where, where, where? Uh, I was born in Uzbekistan. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, during last uh, 15 uh, years, I uh, live uh, in St. Petersburg, uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, uh, I am uh, in Finland, uh, but uh, my uh, city uh, is uh, St. Petersburg. Oh, okay, and you're in St. Petersburg now. You've made that your home. And yeah. it's a beautiful city. And uh, St. Petersburg, it's named after Peter the Great. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? And he was, uh, yes. I guess uh, that was many years ago. But it's a beautiful city and uh, a lot of history behind it there. So you've held calls. You, you've had ham radio license. You've had three calls. You've, you've had a Finland call, I think. An mm -hmm. OH call, right? Mm -hmm. OH, yeah, Finland, and then uh, Uzbekistan, and then now uh, as uh, R1BIG. You're a ham radio operator. You've got a wonderful story. And um, we're going to do some videos. You're going to join us uh, from time to time and present, present some of your travels to these historic places and operations and so forth. And uh, what are we going to see tonight? You've got, you've got a video that you made, uh, and tonight, what are we going to see? Uh, tonight, we will see uh, my uh, video from, Saint, from, from the center of St. Petersburg, my lovely city. Uh, and uh, it was a very exciting experience for me because uh, it was uh, the first time uh, when I was uh, in the center of city, and it was at night. Uh, it was uh, on the uh, 24th of June. Uh, it is the shortest night uh, in uh, our region. Uh, in, and uh, you know that uh, in the summertime we have um, uh, white nights. It means that it is not very dark uh, and uh, the uh, sun is... Um, um sunset uh, is uh, very very late uh, in the night uh, and uh, the excite i was very excited because it was in the center of uh, city and uh, i was uh, worried about the police uh, but uh, nobody uh, was um, interested uh, in my activities and I was lucky. <laughs> right. Of course, I have my uh, all, all papers, what I need, my license and my um, documents for the equipment, radio equipment and everything was okay, but uh, it was the first time and uh, I uh, did not uh, know uh, what uh, will be if uh, someone from uh, police <laughs> come uh, to me and ask uh, some questions, but uh, nobody wasn't interesting. Well, I was going to ask that question after the video because, you know, it looks very strange, a person sitting out in a park with radios and wires in the, wires in the tree. Yeah, yeah. Making some contacts. And I'm just, I'm just wondering, it has to look funny. It has to look strange. And I would think the police, if they were around, would surely ask you a question. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, so I'm glad you had your papers and everything's legal and you're still with us. You're not in jail. So 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a look. Uh, let's take a look at your video from St. Petersburg, and then we'll talk uh, a couple minutes afterwards. Thank you. Hello, my friends. Today I am in the center of my wonderful and beautiful city, St. Petersburg. I want to tell you more information about it. Three, two, one, let's go! It is Peter the Great who founded our city more than 300 years ago. St. Petersburg is a touristic destination. About 8 million tourists come to our city every year. Look at this beautiful night view on the Neva River. I really like to bow boat. <laughs> I really like to go boating, especially in such a wonderful warm summer evening. The view to St. Petersburg from the water is especially beautiful. By the way, it is the shortest night in the year. And I am going to install my radio equipment here and go on the air directly from the heart of St. Petersburg in this wonderful white night. Now it is midnight, but you can see it is not so dark. Uniform Bravo 1, Alpha, Oscar, Alpha, transportable, is that Roger? Roger, Roger. Thank you very much. Your report is 5 and 9, 5 and 9, and my name is Raisa. I am running now from the center of St. Petersburg, um, QSL. Okay, uh, Raisa, QSL. Uh, thanks for the 5 9. Uh, you're 4 by 2, 4 by 2. Uh, my name's Steve, Sierra Tango Echo Victor Echo, uh, QTH on the island of Bonaire in uh, the South Caribbean. I have very very simple antenna, it is dipole antenna on the trees in the center of city, in the center of very big city. QSL? Yeah, okay, Raisa, roger, roger. United Bravo 1 Alpha Oscar Alpha Stroke Portable UB1 AOA Stroke Portable John, repeat your call, please. Repeat your call. Your call again? Yeah, my call. Uh, Victor Yankee 2, Whiskey, Whiskey, over. 
Victor Yankee Two Whiskey Whiskey and John, thank you very much. It's very pleasure for me to have a QSO with Canada. Victor Yankee Two Whiskey Whiskey, please uh, correct my call. My call is Uniform Bravo One Alpha, Oscar Alpha. Okay, yes, thank you very much, Marisa. It's uh, lovely to talk to you on the radio, and I have to tell you, I have a very good friend and a work associate named Marisa. Thank you very much, 73 and 88 John. So my friends, today I have a fantastic night. I spent it in the center of my city, in this location. This is my portable equipment. Uh, and I, the propagation today was uh, very, very nice and very interesting, like always. Uh, I had QSO with um, Canada and I have QSO with uh, Caribbean reg region. It's really fantastic. A few more words about St. Petersburg. We have 13 draw bridges. They are drawn at the night to let the big ships pass in and out of the Baltic Sea. Looks at this moment, a ship goes through the bridge. My friends, welcome to beautiful St. Petersburg. If you like uh, this video, I thought give that me a like. it uh, could be interesting to the police. Uh, and I uh, took with me uh, all documents, my ham radio lieutenant and my ham radio uh, documents for the equipment. Uh, and uh, uh, just uh, some uh, people uh, was uh, interested and asked me uh, what uh, are you doing uh, right now? And uh, I explained them that uh, it is our hobby. But of course, you are right, absolutely. It uh, looks uh, uh, very, very uh, strange because uh, I sit uh, and around me the equipment uh, and uh, I speak in English in the center of St. Petersburg and uh, um, yeah, <laughs> but wow. everything was okay. Uh, nobody uh, was interested <laughs> from the police, I mean, uh, and yes, it was a great night uh, and uh, uh, it was so unusual uh, to have uh, the X station from uh, um, island uh, Bonaire Island. It is so long distance from my uh, point, uh, more than um, nine thousand uh, kilometers uh, from Saint Petersburg to Bonaire uh, to the island mm -hmm. Bonaire, and it was really exciting to have this queso. And also, it was a uh, uh, Prince uh, Edward Island uh, in Canada. Uh, it is uh, the second day so during these portable activities. And uh, yeah, uh, I every time think that it is so nice to have simple equipment, simple antenna, uh, and you have chance chance uh, to make a QSO with uh, different countries. Uh, I'm so happy of age, and uh, I had a great fun on this uh, night. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the bands many times seem dead. There's no one on. Mm -hmm. But it seems like, and you know, I've noticed when we have contests, the bands are full. So that tells me we just need more people to be more active. And I've noticed when you get on the air, 
you have pileups. You have a lot of pileups when you get on the air. You open, you open the band up. So, do you enjoy pileups uh, when so many people are calling you? Uh, yes, it is a big fun <laughs> and great experience. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, I uh, want to have a simple QSO with someone and to speak uh, a little bit more. But every time when I am on the air, I have a pileups uh, and uh, uh, I uh, want to be polite to everyone. And of course, I could not uh, speak with uh, one uh, of uh, my correspondents uh, uh, too long time uh, but i like it and uh, uh, i'm very happy that uh, when i uh, feel the joy from the other side uh, it's really very nice because uh, i know for example when i uh, call the stations uh, and uh, there are also uh, there is also pile up and uh, i could not uh, call uh, him and one moment uh, he uh, answered me and I am so exciting at this moment. I'm so happy. And I know that uh, many people, I'm not at the X station, <laughs> uh, but uh, I know that uh, uh, many uh, hands operators are very uh, glad to have a quiz with me. And uh, I feel uh, their uh, joy and uh, it brings me a very, very nice feeling. <laughs> Well, you are very active in many things. I know you like things like fox hunts and contesting. Oh, hey, contesting. Let me just say this. I saw, I read where uh, in 2019, the Worldwide DX Contest, you were number one in Finland, right? You were number one. <laughs> it was my, my first experience uh, when I was uh, alone, like a single operator. Uh, yes, it was a big result, great result for me, uh, number one uh, in Finland, and uh, I think uh, 15 uh, in... Uh, 15 in Europe? Europe, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and you were, number, you were number 23, number 23 in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's, quite, that's quite an accomplishment. Wow. Well, Thank hey, you. Uh, you know... I want to let everybody know about your uh, your YouTube channel uh, tonight, and we're going to start having people check out your YouTube channel and your your uh, Facebook and all these things. Let me see if I can pull those up. Uh, uh, you've got a great. Uh, let's see. This is uh, this is your Facebook channel right here. If, guys, just go to guys and girls now. Go to Facebook and just put in Y L R A I S A, and you will find. Raisa here, and this is all about her journey into uh, ham radio, and uh, she's got uh, some very interesting things that she posts uh, uh, in her uh, Facebook group. Uh, let's see. Also, uh, she has a blog. Uh, if I think it's just, is it R A I S A dot blog? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Raisa? Yes, okay. it's right. So everybody, please uh, please check her out, check her videos out, subscribe to her channel, and uh, I think you'll uh, really, really enjoy that. All right, well, Raisa, it is you so are very welcome. <laughs> so it is, it, hey, it is uh, such a pleasure and honor to have you join us on the show uh, tonight. It's your premiere uh, with us on the show, and we really thank you for being here, and we're looking forward to. 
uh, additional videos and, and discussions about the things that you do for Ham Radio. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, thank you very much. Uh, uh, it was a great pleasure to me. Uh, and uh, the next time we will uh, tell about fox hunting too <laughs> uh, and uh, many other things uh, which is uh, interesting for us uh, in Ham Radio. And I think that's uh, the great uh, idea that um, we have uh, together, we have both, uh, it, it is to promote our hobby. And uh, everybody do it uh, like um, uh, he or she think uh, to do it. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, uh, if uh, it will be more people, uh, more active people in social media like uh, we, uh, we will have uh, more new people in our hobby. And uh, I hope uh, it uh, will be, and I know uh, from my channel and from the people who um, wrote me the messages uh, that, that they were interested uh, in ham radio because they uh, looked, uh, watched my uh, videos, and I'm so happy about it. I wish you all the best, uh, and uh, to uh, everybody, 73 and 88. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that was fun, and uh, she's a fun person. She makes ham radio fun. And uh, join her Facebook group, and uh, hey, join her join her YouTube channel, uh, Y L R A I S A, and uh, join that channel. And she has many many videos out there. Um, this lady, she tackles everything. I mean. Uh, I saw her put up a uh, a long wire antenna over a lake. She's got a video of putting an antenna over a lake, and she's in a canoe and putting this antenna up. I've seen her shoot lions over trees. Uh, she's a better shot than I am uh, with that big, uh, I don't know what you call it, it's that real long stick-looking thing with the uh, slingshot type thing. Uh, I think that's some commercial product out there, but... Uh, she uh, she does it all, guys, and uh, we're so glad to have her uh, now with us on the show. And every couple of weeks, we're going to be bringing something new in uh, from uh, Raisa, and uh, hopefully, uh, you guys will enjoy it here. So, uh, Glenn and uh, Glenn, uh, Alan, well, well, sorry you couldn't hear the audio on that first part there, but uh, uh, I guess we made it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I didn't realize that you were uh, that you were you were interviewing her kind of live and uh, or live and recorded. So I thought you were still talking. I didn't hear you. So that's that's what yeah. threw me for a second. Well, all right. I, I fired up the the web link and watched it off of YouTube. Okay. Yes, well, great, great. All right. So, hey, Glenn, you got something you want to talk to us about tonight? Sure. What do you got, man? Finally, put something together. Well. Um, you know, part of writing the books and everything is you have to document what you've created. And, of course, schematics are how we generally share our electronic designs. And, of course, back in the old days, we had to handwrite those things out or use a drafting table and, you know, just painful. And uh, there's a lot of software out there now that makes it simple. And of course, if you come up with a design that's popular, some people may want, you know, 
a copy or to you know have a circuit board because they don't want to do the wiring individually or whatever. And a lot of these uh, packages will export that information to uh, a file that you can ship off and have a PC board made. And so I've got a little PowerPoint presentation I put together here. And uh, we're going to pick on one. Uh, let's see. And uh, too many screens up. All right, can you see this screen? Yes, we can. Okay. Tonight we're going to talk about Eagle Fusion 360 and Eagle PCB. This is what I use um, to create my schematics, uh, although there are several others out there. Uh, and I really want to look at, uh, I guess they call it KiCad. It's K-I-C-A-D, KiCad, KiCad, whatever. Um, so as we, as we talked about, as you keep going and designing and, and doing things, um, there'll probably come a time when you want to share these designs or have a board made. I know in my case there are several boards that I'd like to make. Um, the two big ones that are mostly used are Autodesk's Eagle PCB and the, the KiCad. Uh, at the end of the day, which one to choose? Um, uh, it's pretty much a matter of personal preference. Uh, you'll probably want to experiment with both. Uh, from what I understand, the, the KiCad is relatively easy to work with, and it's very full-featured. But uh, the Autodesk, um, it, it can be complex, but it's also got a lot of power behind it. So it's six of one, half dozen of the other. The, uh, the KiCad is what I call it, uh, is an open source and therefore free uh, product. It's a fully functional package. This thing can create boards up to 2.14 meters square. Mm. I don't think we have circuit boards that big anymore. That's a big board. It is. And you can also have up to 32 layers. I mean, you can literally make your own motherboard with this software, 32 layers. And you can get it for Linux, Mac, and Windows Workstation. And my personal preference, because I've just worked with it for so many years and kind of just had to brute force with it, uh, is the Eagle PCB. It's got a free version. It started out as open source and got bought by Autodesk. And uh, just recently, they rolled it into their uh, Fusion 360 package that we'll talk about in a minute. But the free version has limitations uh, that you, they want you to spend money. They want you to buy the paid version. <clears throat> But it's still very functional and usable for what we want to do. Uh, it also runs on Linux, Mac, and Windows workstations. Uh, recently, they made changes from the free version. Uh, it's now included as part of their Fusion 360 paid product. But they still leave us a limited free version of Fusion 360 for personal use. Uh, this also gives you access to... Uh, computer-aided design and computer-aided manufacturing, CAD-CAM, as well as the Eagle PCB software. So you get a, a whole taste of their suite. Uh, but for now, we're just going to stick with uh, talking about Eagle. 
Um, to get it, first you'll need to sign up for a Fusion 360 for personal slash hobby use subscription um, at autodesk.com uh, products Fusion 360 slash personal. This will allow you to download and install a limited use version of the Eagle. Uh, it limits you to two schematic sheets, two board layers, and a 12.4 by 12.4 inch board as compared to the two meter board on the on PCAD or KICAD. Uh, you, you can get full functionality from Eagle if you want to go with one of the paid versions, but for most hams, the free version will do everything that we need. Uh, libraries uh, is where all of the parts, specifications, pin layouts, uh, Everything you need to know about a part uh, are contained inside these libraries. You can download uh, and add additional libraries. Uh, there's a site called ComponentSearchEngine.com uh, and Element14.com. That's where I got most of mine. And for the parts that don't exist, uh, you can create and share your own parts and libraries, which I had to do for things like the lightning detector and some of the other Arduino parts that just didn't have a, a library yet. This is what it looks like when you first fire it up. You've got your libraries and all the other functions and your projects. And the project we're talking about here is the CW decoder project. Uh, I believe that was in my second Arduino book. And, uh, or is it in the new one? can't remember. I think it was in the second one. And uh, so here is where you can actually select and add a part. And you can expand this out and get the different package types and everything and select and then put it onto the schematic board like this. And this is the entire schematic for the CW decoder. You just literally add part, grab the part, drag it onto the page, place it, and go. <clears throat> you add your wiring, and you've got it all set. <clears throat> From that, you can actually create a, a project uh, either way. You can do it from the board view in a physical scenario or the schematic view. Um, if you create one, Eagle will also uh, automatically allow you to create the other for you. However, you're more than likely going to have to rearrange it at the end because it's just not that smart in terms of placement. Uh, I prefer to start from the schematic drawing, and once that's complete, if I want to, I'll create the board drawing and then rearrange the, the components and the circuit traces and then everything is needed. It does have an auto route function to give you a basic layout of the board traces and you can rearrange from there. Um, the following slide is going to show you what a finished board would look like. I took the CW decoder board schematic that you just saw, used the auto route function, and I created a functional circuit board layout that I could actually ship off to one of the PC board manufacturers, and they would be able to etch that board for me. Uh, with Eagle, you can export this to a file called a Gerber file. And this is the standard interchange files for all the, the uh, circuit board manufacturers. And they can create that board for as little as $2 a piece. And this is what the routed board actually looks like. And uh, you can clean that up, square everything off and, and whatnot. 
and it automatically decides which side of the board. Since you only have two layers, you've got the top of the board and the bottom of the board, and you have the, the through hole, what they call a via, that you can pass the signal and avoid shorts and things like that. So that's just really Eagle in a nutshell. Uh, there is a great tutorial on sparkfun.com. Uh, they've got a whole series on Eagle at uh, learn.sparkfun.com slash tutorials and using-eagle-schematics slash all. And you'll be able to run through all of those. I wish those had been around when I got started with Eagle. And uh, it's really handy. The tutorials are very good. Of course, they've got a lot of other tutorials there as well. But uh, Eagle was my personal preference, although I want to experiment with uh, PCAD and a couple of the others uh, down the road. But now you have the ability to, to get the tool you need to design and create your own projects and your own circuit boards if you so desire. And so that's where we went tonight. Man, you've got me uh, really interested here. Um, you know, I, I you know I, I've got I, I use Eagle and I've got this. Um, you know, the little tracker here is, I got the schematic, I got all the Gerber files, the, you know, the board files, everything, and have these made. So, uh, and I think there's a way to do it. Are, are you saying that I, if I've got the schematic, it'll actually draw this board from the schematic, and maybe I could just tell it to use the 0604 size parts, and it would size it correctly? No, you would have to replace each part individually with the 0604 size version of the component. Because, uh, okay, well, uh, the traces aren't big enough on this this uh, board to put the, 60, the 604 parts on. Well, you would um, just put it on a board, and it would you can size the board, but it would be a bigger board. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand a bigger board. I'm sure interested. I'd like to double the size of this and maybe use uh, the 0604 uh, parts. That would make it so much easier. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, man. But now, if you if that design was in Eagle, you can get the board file. Well, I have it. I have it. Yeah. I mean, not just the schematic file, but the .brd file, which is the circuit board file. Yeah. And then you can just start replacing components and do the auto route, clean up the routing, and probably get Yeah, I have uh, I have all the files, uh, you know, uh, that I, I that I send to have the boards made and everything. Uh, it's just I don't know how to manipulate them, you know. So yeah, yeah okay, I'll, I'll have to look into that when I get some time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and in the chat room, uh, they're talking about the two layers. Yeah, the two layers are top and bottom of the board. And because of the way the Gerber files created, I don't think you can take two projects and merge them unless you're a really good guru. So, but like I say, for the Eagle, you're going to be limited to the two layers. If you want more, you're either going to need to buy the paid version yeah. or go with the open source KiCad. They corrected me in the chat room there that it's 0603, and that's a little bit larger part. Uh, I'm, I'm using the 0402, which is, it is so small. When I build this, Glenn, if I, I drop a part with the tweezers, or if I'm trying to solder it on a board and it flicks out, I'll never oh, find I've that part those. again. I mean, it's so small. So I've got to, I've, I'd, I'd like to try to do it. I really would. It's it, it, I can still manage these, but. 
I couldn't build one of those boards. Yeah, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play with Eagle and see what what I can come up with. You know, and what I've already got might make it easier just to try to convert it and you know expand yeah, it mean, out a little generally, bit. Generally, you know? if you go through all the parts, a lot of those listings in the library, for example, you know your resistors. Yeah. Uh, you know your resistors come in in various sizes. You know the the old through hole resistor. So I and I suppose like the SI fifty three fifty one will it come in different sizes or will I be, still be stuck with that small one? You have different packages. Yeah, but that would change you know, like up the, the layout of the board. To five and transistors. Yeah, that would change right. the layout of the board. I'm looking for something I can just kind of easily you know expand right. out. More than likely, it's going to be the same package type because they don't make a whole lot of different packages. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, okay. But now uh, Chuck in the chat room is saying finding the right part and package you want is one of the tough things. And for some of the oddball parts, that is correct. Um, a lot of times I had to create my own part. Once you get used to the part creation process, it's not that difficult. Yeah. Uh, but generally, if you Google the part you're looking for, uh, there's a very high probability that somebody's already created one and it's on a GitHub site out there somewhere. Yep. Or, you know, uh, it, that's where I got most of my stuff is people would put together packages on GitHub and I'd Google and find the, the piece I wanted and grabbed it and got the whole library. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for uh, sharing that with us tonight, man. It's got me excited uh, to work on that. Boy, Alan's got me working on scope probes, and now you got me working on Eagle. I got so much to do now. I'm going to be a busy guy the next couple weeks. Yeah, I'm hoping I can get some time to to get stuff going the next couple weeks myself. All right. Uh, just let me make a quick announcement here, uh, especially to all of our viewers out there and listeners. You know, we have shortwave listeners that tune into the show on 7490 kilohertz WBCQ. And that's out of Monticello, Maine. I think I think we're running low power up there. We're only running 50,000 watts. It's not a it's not a real high power station, but uh, 50,000 watts. We are on shortwave and uh, we we do occasionally hear from people in different countries that uh, have tuned in. So shoot us an email if you're listening to us. Send it to Tom at W5KUB.com. And also, I'd like to just ask everybody, if uh, you can, if you have not subscribed to our Facebook group, please uh, uh, subscribe to our Facebook or join our Facebook group. It's called W5KUB. We've got 12,000 hams in it, and there's always a lot of activity going on there. We'd love to have you. Uh, and on YouTube here, if you will, hit the subscribe button. That really helps us out if you hit that subscribe button, hit the notification button, and uh, that helps um, YouTube to let other people know about our show. And um, our statistics show about 25% of the people that actually show up watching our show on a Tuesday night actually uh, come to us from the little thumbnails over on the, the right side of uh, YouTube, you know, that says we recommend this uh, video for you, a similar video. So... About 25% of our uh, uh, people come from that. All right. Hey, uh, I want to talk to uh, everybody very uh, just briefly about some, uh, you know, backup power. Um, you know, uh, it's important. 
and especially for, for Glenn and me down here, we lose electricity down here in the sticks a lot, especially when we get ice storms. Ice storms are what kills our, our electricity down here. Guys, you know, you may know, have known, I mentioned, you know, I've ordered a, a 22KW uh, Genrac to put in the house here, to, to all house uh, a generator. I paid for this thing in July, the first week of July. I haven't got it yet. And they're estimating now that the delivery is going to be the 27th of December. So I won't even get this for Christmas. I bet you I don't even have it in January. But, you know, the supply chain is so messed up right now in the world here that, I, you know, I, I, it's just you got to grin and bear it. There's not much you can do. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you know, I do have a, a, a generator that I can plug into the house here. It's a gas generator I can crank and, uh, you know, uh, for an emergency and run the whole house with it. Uh, but I have to go out there. I have to hook it up. I've got to drag it out. I've got to crank it and all that. It's a gas. Now, this Genrac here is going to be natural gas. So it'll be hooked to my natural gas meter out here. And, you know, it's going to automatically start all by itself, automatically switch with transfer switches and, and so forth. And uh, so that's going to be neat to have whenever I do get it. But in the meantime, in the past few years, I have kind of made a... A poor man's backup to keep me on the uh, on the air and to keep the computers running. And you know, probably many of you are familiar with the little uh, UPSs. This is a little uh, APC 650, I guess, uh, uh, volt amp uh, uh, UPS system. It's it, it's roughly 650 watts, and you know, it has inside there. It has one battery. It has one little battery. Let's see if I can find a battery. Yeah, it's got a, uh, well, that's, a, that's an 18 amp hour battery. Uh, but uh, when this thing goes into backup, it's usually drawing more than that. And uh, uh, if, you, if you have a standard UPS, UPS system, you know that it only gives you enough time to shut down your computers. That's basically what it's for, just so you can safely shut down your p computers. Um, this particular one, this uh, 650, is one that I have put, you can see the red and the black wire there. I, I have taken out the internal battery and ran uh, a cable out or an external battery, and I'm using a, a much larger battery there. This is what we use on the, uh, the video cart when we uh, move around like at, at Dayton or Huntsville. We have laptops running and, and Wi-Fi running and all kinds of things going on the cart, uh, running off 110. So uh, this battery uh, with that little uh, 650 UPS, it'll actually run, uh, you know, uh, an hour and a half, two hours, uh, pretty pretty easy. There, uh, the company I worked for used to throw these things away basically when a battery would go bad. Uh, or they just didn't need them anymore, or they upgraded to larger units, uh, these, were, these were basically junked out. So if you look around, you might can find you a, a, a UPS system uh, for free. Uh, if not, uh, you can find them on uh, eBay. Uh, here's, a, here's a 650 on eBay for $20. Now, this is without the battery, but you don't need the battery. Uh, now, 
so that's what I use on my roll around cart. But here at the house, I did something kind of special and unique here at the house. Out in my shop, I uh, have a 1500. Basically, it's a 1500 watt uh, UPS out there. This is made by uh, Triplite. And um, I um, let's talk a little about it first. So there, there, there's a front view of it. Not much to see. And there's a side view. Let's see. Okay, 1500. Uh, it's a 1500 XL, and it's it's roughly 1500 watts, and uh, that's quite a bit of power, actually. Uh, you know, when you when you need it. Now, if you go out to try to find one of these on eBay, it's going to be much more expensive, even used. Here, this is 160 bucks, but it comes with two new batteries in it, or two good batteries in it. You might can find one much cheaper without the batteries in it. Now this particular one here is a 24 volt system, 24 volts. So they use two uh, 12 volt batteries uh, in series, and I think these are seven amp hour batteries. These are seven amp hour batteries. So you can see once this thing goes into battery backup mode, it's going to be pulling 20 amps, and uh, those batteries are going to last you about 10 minutes. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised at how quick a UPS system actually runs down. So I did the same thing. I did the same thing on my uh, my, my 1500, and uh, I, I I had my 1500 out in, the, in the, my shop, and I, I I put six deep cycle. I mean, four six volt deep cycle golf cart batteries in series. And uh, this gives him my 24 volts. This particular UPS actually had a uh, plug on the back for external power. So uh, I, I just basically plugged those in. You could uh, remove the batteries and you could run the wires out uh, to your batteries. Now, these batteries here, these batteries will let you, and let me, let me just say, uh, so I've got the batteries outside. And the 110 volt, I ran Romex, Romex from my UPS through my attic and down into the ham shack, uh, into my office, into my family room. So I have receptacles in the wall in those rooms. Uh, I have multiple, a number of uh, computers plugged in that run all the time. I have my, uh, I have my internet uh, uh, router and modem uh, plugged into it. I have the TV plugged into it. I have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of things that are plugged into it, and it's uh, it's got about 60, 70 percent loading. The 1500 watt uh, UPS does. So let me show you what I got there. I I, I I picked me up some Trojan golf cart batteries. These batteries are about 80 pounds a piece. So you know, and and they're uh, I think these are 225 uh, amp hours. Uh, so, you know, if, you, if we're going from a 7 amp hour, a 7 amp hour system to a 220 amp hour system. So, um, I got four of those batteries. And um, the guy I got them from at the battery place gave me a charger. He says, you're going to need something to charge those batteries with. And he gave me a big golf cart charger right there. And I said, well, I, I think the UPS will charge them. He said, no, it, there's no way. It won't charge these. Well, that, that's not right because uh, even though this charger will put out 20 or 30 amps and charge it very quickly, the, um, 
the UPS will charge it, but the UPS only puts out about about one and a half amps. So if 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 I have a power outage here, and let's say I use, you know, I don't know if 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 it draws 20 amps, and let's say let's say we're down for an hour, uh, I use 20 amp hours of of power. Well, that one and a half volt charge, a one and a half amp charging, is going to take me. 20 hours to charge that up and you know what we have outages so infrequent that the ups charger is actually keeping those batteries charged and and up where they should be i took me a little uh, off the internet everybody has seen these little uh, digital readouts that read out voltage and current built me a little box up and put it in the line it goes out to my battery right here so i can always monitor the uh, the voltage there and and I can see when the charging comes on, I can see the charging current there and so forth. Uh, so outside my shop, if you, the two red wires there go out through the window uh, to, to behind some bushes uh, in, uh, outside my shop. And I built a little box up like this, a little weatherproof box up to, to uh, hold these, these batteries. And there they are again right there. Uh, you know, we went from probably... Uh, uh, 15 pounds of batteries to uh, about 300 pounds of batteries. So you can see the capacity there. Uh, we, uh, we greatly increased the, uh, the capacity there. So I just wanted to let you know that that's kind of what we use here. That will run, that will run all my computers, my TV, my internet. That'll run everything about 10 hours. I've got 10 hours and by then usually the power's back on or I can get my generator out there. And once I, hey, once I get my generator running, it starts recharging the batteries through the UPS. And uh, hopefully, I'll get my 22 uh, uh, kilowatt generator uh, maybe maybe as a Christmas present and get it installed. But uh, that's what we're looking for right there. Yeah, the, the, the UPS charger will take forever. Like I said, if you pull 20 amps for an hour, that's 20 amp hours. And at one and a half amps, it's going to take you, what's that going to take you? About 15, 16 hours to charge it back up. So, uh, but it, it will charge it and it does, it does keep it floated and it keeps the uh, batteries charged. If I want to do a quick charge, I could always use, uh, I could always use the, um, if I guess, where's my picture at? Can't find my picture. Well, there the it is. Golf cart charger. There it is right here. I could always use a golf cart charger if I need a quick charge. Like I say, that's either that's about twenty or that's that's that, that may even be a forty amp charger right here. You know that that typically charges those golf cart batteries uh, pretty quick. So, uh, but I've never had to use that charger. So anyway, that is the story, and I'm sticking to it. You know, one thing you mentioned about being able to find those at ham fest swap fest and uh -huh. things like that um, most people don't realize that you can change the batteries or they don't want to bother trying to find those batteries because they they're hard to find if you're looking at a local walmart or whatever but uh -huh. go online and you can get them you know dirt cheap for those seven eight nine amp hour batteries and uh, you're talking like for one it's like 18 bucks yeah yeah you and, can uh, my UPS uses four of those, and it's a 1500. But uh, somebody just gave me the UPS because the batteries died and corroded all the yeah. terminals. 
Yeah. I just put new spade lugs on it and poof, I've got a brand new UPS. So 90% of the time, if you see one for sale somewhere without that's dead, no battery or whatever, 90% of the time, the only problem with it is the batteries or yeah. the connectors. And you know, this is a trip light I've got that I have here, the 1500. I had. Prior to that, I had an APC in here. Some people, you know, there's some rumors about APCs uh, have issues and so forth. But anyway, I thought my APC 1500 went out. Actually, it was my batteries that had gone bad, but yeah. I didn't realize it. And uh, I, I took that 1500-watt APC UPS, and I just stripped it. I tore all the parts out of it. And then I, then I realized, oh, man, it was my batteries. Exactly. So, so that's when I went out and bought uh, uh, a a uh, fifteen hundred uh, watt uh, off eBay, and uh, I think I I might have paid about a hundred bucks for it. Someone's asking what's the cost there. Uh, I paid about a hundred dollars for that big UPS. The yeah. batteries, um, the batteries. I have a friend who has a a battery company, and uh, I bought those batteries for twenty five dollars each. So I've got a hundred hundred dollars in the batteries. He gave me that charger, which I'm, I'm not having to use. So, you know, and and it's worked out really well uh, here. Uh, um, when we do have a when we do have an outage here, boy, all the computers, everything stays on, everything just works fine. And, yeah, uh, we're real happy I'm, with that. I'm the same way. I didn't do it like you did. I've got a separate UPS on all my critical stuff. Uh huh. So that if the power goes out, I can still watch TV and everything. The computers are on. And, you know, I probably have about 25 to 30 minutes of runtime with the standard battery. So plenty of time to do whatever I want to do and shut down gracefully or what have you. You know, uh, it's, I was reading the chat room. At my other home, uh, I had a similar uh, uh UPS setup, and I think it was an APC, but I did have the batteries outside. Instead of four six volts, I had two big hundred pound twelve volt batteries. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, big, you know, like we uh, we got it work. You've seen them. You know the batteries yes. I'm talking about. So uh, I came home. I mean, I, we were out of town, so I came back one time and opened the top of that box up. Those batteries had actually melted. They were the, all that all that plastic. They had basically melted and almost just stuck together. I mean, it was. I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't have it in the house. And uh, yeah. And that's the reason. That's the reason that the, these are outside, particularly for the uh, for the gas they give off uh, as they charge. And uh, you know, um, they uh, they seem to function very well. I just built my little box and put some insulation on it, and I just check the water every few months, and uh, it's it's good to go. And you know yeah. when I get my generator in, I'll still keep that UPS running, and uh, yeah. all the things I have in it will will uh, will continue to be backed up. You know, one of the big things, uh, and they're kind of talking about it, and you kind of talked about it. Those little seven amp hour, eight amp hour, hour batteries, they are sealed lead acid batteries. Yeah, and as they age, they tend to dry out. And then they'll split, or they'll actually, they'll split, they'll expand, bulge up first, and then split, and then they'll dry out. And, of course, when they split, you get that wonderful sulfuric stench. And that's how you can tell that you've had a battery yeah, yeah. go out on you. Here we go. Um, 
You can get the UPS at uh, Goodwill. I mean, just check it there. People buy ham gear there. I, I can't believe it. I, I don't know that we have it here where I live. But, I don't uh, think I've ever seen ham gear at a Goodwill store. You know, I, I see it on uh, I see it on Facebook all the time. People picking up ham gear or shortwave receivers and some nice stuff out there's here. Some, there is some good stuff if you yeah. like. They've got an online auction site. Oh, really? And yeah. if you are patient and you know you can find some good stuff. Uh -huh. I'm not patient. I go straight to eBay and do buy it now. <laughs> All right, I'm just checking the, uh, checking it out here. But you know, talking about parts, I had parts come in literally day before yesterday that I had ordered back in September. You know, so yeah. Someone it's, mentioning they got a solar panel and uh, they they charge with solar. I've got um, and I'm not using it. I have, you know, one of these large solar panels you see on the side of the road in these big solar farms. You know, it's about five feet tall and, you know, a few feet wide. Yeah. It's uh, it's 28 volt, uh, 28 volt at 9 amp. Uh, it, it's pretty hefty, man. It is really hefty. And I've got one of those. Uh, I've just never hooked it up to anything. Uh, never really had to need to, but... Uh, you got to be careful with that thing, man. You don't want to carry it out in the sun uh, and get your, you know, get get the the lead shorted or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, the problem is if you are dealing with something like an ice storm. Yeah. Uh, it's winter, so you got the short days. It's probably overcast, and you're in an ice storm, so you're not going to have any sun. So you're pretty well out of luck until the storm passes. Yeah. And the same with a, a thunderstorm or, you know, anything else, you know, in the spring, you know, uh, severe thunderstorms, you're not going to charge with the thunderstorm overhead. Yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody asked me, what does this Generac cost? Uh, this is the 22,000 watt and uh, it will run the entire house. We have three uh, central air conditioning units here at the home, uh, but it'll run everything. Uh, you know, if you go to Generac's site, they they tell you, you know, the average price to have one of these installed is like $6,000. Okay. Well, i tell you, that is not true. Uh, and I shopped around, and uh, the first bid I got from the people to put the same one in, you know, the $6,000 I was expecting, they came in at $12,000. $12, and I, I checked with a number of different people. Everybody wanted $12,000 to put it in. And I told them that's too much. I said, you're, you're, the, the Generac website says the average cost is 6000 You know, what's the deal? So they called Generac, and Generac told them, uh, yeah, well, that's an old website, and, you know, it's a little more than that now. So th they actually reduced my price to, like, 11000 Eleven five or something. I got this through Lowe's, by the way, um, and uh, and this this included uh, this included everything from plumbing, you know, the gas lines to be hooked up, all the new wiring, the the uh, uh, transfer switches and so forth. It included everything. So they came down to about eleven thousand. I thought I said, well, you know, yeah, you know, you're making me happier, but still no go, you know. So they finally came down. I got them down to, t to an even $10,000. And uh, 
And he said, well, it might be a couple months. And an electrician said, no, nah, it won't be a couple months. He says, that particular model, there's, it, you don't have any problem getting it. <laughs> right now, everybody is out of them. Nobody's been getting them. I've, I've been getting updates. And my update I got this past week was delivery now of um, 27th of December, which I'm sure won't happen. No, and I, I bought this thing the first week of July, so yeah. man, you know we're talking almost six months here. It, it may go seven or eight months easy. Yeah. Oh, I'm just wow. thankful I got all my major house projects, renovations, and stuff done before the price of wood went up. Yeah. My gosh. Yep. I hear you know. Uh, they're asking, yeah, they're they're asking if you do it, do the install yourself. Can you do it for five or six? I think if you can do it yourself, uh, you know, no uh, no permits, no inspections, that type thing, you probably can. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I would be capable of doing it. It's pretty simple, and there's even videos on uh, on uh, YouTube showing how to install the Generac. I think you could do one for five or uh, for six thousand um, dollars. The thing is, everybody. I mean, you know, I think the electrician wants three thousand dollars to do his wiring. Well, he does everything from he gets the plumbing done and the wiring and and uh, uh, you know the gas and all that. Uh, and you know the permit, the the, the city permits just to get it done are right. like three hundred bucks just for the permits. I wouldn't try it myself. Something that big in the city here, uh, it would probably not not be worth doing. You know? I I don't like playing with anything that involves gas. Electricity is one thing. Yeah. You know, messing with gas and worrying about leaks and getting it shut off right, and doing it right. No, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you can do it, but you know, hey. Everything is getting so expensive now, and of course the wire the wire size you got to run is like. I don't know, double alt or something. I mean, this big stuff, you know, about the size of your oh, thumb. Yeah. You know, I think I think well, I mean, just the, I just think the, the the few pieces of wire he has to run the wire was like three hundred bucks, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're talking a twenty-two kVA box. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's some serious power. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? We've just about finished uh, filled up the show tonight. Let's see, it's a little power system. Okay, yeah. uh, he's uh, uh, Colin uh, says there in Australia, 22 kVA home standby diesel generator is Australian uh, 15,400. Now I don't know. Yeah, what's the exchange? I, I don't know right what there, the exchange Colin? is. 15,000. Somebody look it up. What's exchange? What is 15,400 Australian dollars in U.S. dollars? It's probably it might be a little bit more actually. Uh, yeah, I've got 200 amp service here, so that's what uh, yeah. that's what they'll put in. Uh, you know, um, if we have an earthquake, we'll probably lose natural gas. Yeah, probably, probably. But you know, we've never lost natural gas before. We always lose uh, electricity, but we've never lost natural gas before. Of course, my heat is natural gas, yeah. but of course, the fan is electric, so right. I'm pretty well out of luck. 
Well, and that's why my generator out there, uh, I mean, I don't run, when I, when I run my, I've only got a 8,000-watt uh, generator. Uh, I don't run things like the air conditioning systems or the electric range or the oven, uh, but it definitely will run the blowers in the furnaces. Yeah, uh, that's to keep all you, really you know, matters. to keep you warm in the wintertime, you know. Yeah, you'll, you'll get your hot water and you'll get your hot air. Uh, uh, yeah, let's see. That's if the I did install, part. I could leave the microscope in the shop. Uh, I guess, yeah. I guess that's with, what it, with, with, you know, 200 amp service, I don't think you'd be oh, a yeah, microscope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> at least the gas is outside if I had a leak. Yeah, it wouldn't, you know, it, it, it would, it might be a little better. I was saying we're 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 about ten minutes toward the end of the show here. We didn't really we covered so much tonight. We didn't uh, really have time to open the phone lines uh, here tonight or, or Zoom for people. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, hey guys, if you will, man, send a send a a, a note to uh, Raisa, Raisa, and let her know that you enjoyed having her on here. And uh, I think it's great having her on here from over there. It, it helps bring up some international flavor uh, to the show. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. and uh, She has so much energy and uh, uh, so much fun with the hobby. And, uh, you know, most of us hams, I don't know, us old guys, I, I guess we, we're running out of fun now. It's work <laughs> to carry that thing to the table and all that, you know. So, yeah. Here's uh, your exchange rate, okay. by the way. Eleven thousand one hundred ninety-four dollars. Okay, well, yeah. you know, it's it's very similar, similar in price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's for diesel, and uh, this will be natural gas. Now, uh, I know natural gas is different than LP gas. Uh, uh, I think the orifice is different or something. But I I saw I've been looking at uh, this generator, the 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 parts and everything. And it looks like there may be some type of switch or something on a generator that you can select LP gas or natural gas. Now, if that's oh. true, if that's true, I get, if we ever lost natural gas, uh, I could take an a, a LP gas bottle out there and possibly make it work. Well, but, Keith uh, is saying the orifices, orifices are smaller for liquid propane. Yeah. I don't know if that adjust if that if that switch does it or if you have to change something else. You know, maybe you have to do multiple things. Probably. Maybe there's a different feed connector. But I, I'll tell you, you know, you take a little thirty one of these little uh, uh, gas grill bottles out there, the thirty pounder. I bet you, I bet you, it wouldn't last very long on there. No. It it would probably suck that thing down pretty fast. No, you'd have to get one of the big, huge yeah, yeah, I have to get bottles one of those, uh, eight, eight foot, uh, eight foot tanks, you know, out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh, let's see. Oh, let's see what else we got going here in the chat room. Yeah, I think uh, if you send a note to uh, Raisa, I think she will uh, she'll reply back to you. So, so everybody say hello to her, send her a note, and uh, that would be cool. Uh, or go to her uh, Facebook, uh, go to her Facebook, join it, or join her her uh, YouTube, leave a comment on YouTube, and uh, just mention Amateur Radio Roundtable. I think she'll get a big kick out of it. Natural gas is going up. Yeah, hey, it's going to go up about 40% probably this winter. Uh, 
But uh, hey, when you have a power outage, and we have had some over the years, this area has had some serious power outages. And I know down in yeah. Mississippi, back we had a big ice storm, and we lost all the big uh, uh, steel towers and all the high tension lines. They all fell. And there were people here, even in Memphis, that didn't have electricity for more than a month. Oh, yeah. I remember 1993, four, um, when I lived in Birmingham, yeah. uh, we had that big. That's the big ice one. Storm. I think that's the big one that came through here. Yeah. And interesting, my power was only out for about two days, but the apartment in the same physical building as me, but across the hall was on a different feed, and they were out for three weeks. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Well, that's like electricity is here. We uh, ran an extension cord across the hall. That's like electricity is here. Uh, my street's uh, a U-shape, and and everybody loses power on my side of the street, but across the street they keep power, uh, usually. But th those are minor outages, not, nothing big and serious like, you know, I'm trying to prepare for uh, with the big generator. Uh, we can we can always live a day without electricity, but... Uh, I would hate to think about a day we'd have to try to make it, you know, a week without uh, yeah. without electricity. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an expensive winter one way or the other, either yeah. electricity or the gas or whatever. Yeah, I'm just thankful that I only have to drive to work two days a week instead of five. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody listening out there. Uh, hey, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate having you. Thanks for listening on uh, International Shortwave, WBCQ on 7490. Uh, join us on Tuesday nights, and you can watch the video and join us on the chat room and uh, be a part of the show. We'll probably open the phone lines up next week. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll, we're going to have um, uh, Raisha. Raisa, I, I, I've got to get that name down right. It's Raisa. We're going to uh, try to have her in here every other week uh, with some exciting uh, historic uh, operation somewhere. Uh, and, uh, hey, if you go look at some of her videos, uh, you're going to see her climbing Russian towers and, and operating from the top of towers, lookout towers to old forts and... Uh, 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 lakes, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, we're so glad that she's joining us here. Um, all right. Well, any last words, Glenn? No, I'm pretty much done with everything tonight. Welcome to our new, uh, all the new people that maybe are in the chat room that joined us tonight. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Good night to everybody, and we'll see you uh, next week.